week four of a seven-week series called The Seven Deadly Sins. Now, if you look in the appendix of your Bible, there's not a seven deadly sin category. You're not going to find seven specific sins in the Bible listed as seven deadly sins. And the reason is because all, all sins are deadly. And in fact, um, even if you don't struggle with one of these particular seven sins, it doesn't mean that you're not a sinner. In fact, the Bible says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you just look at your neighbor and call him a sinner. Ready, go. See, some of you did that with a little too much passion, didn't you? <laughs> you look at your wife, you said, you sinner, this morning. Okay, I understand. So, uh, <clears throat> so all of us have sinned, including me, especially me. I'm probably the chief among sinners here in this room. Um, and and. All sins are deadly. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But these seven sins in particular, these seven kind of categories of sin, as the great theologian and JV football coach, Coach Bull Lee, would used to say, he would say, if you don't want to fall down, don't walk in slippery places. And these are some slippery places in all of our lives. And so today's topic or sin is gluttony. Now, gluttony, um, it, it actually is not from the word gluten. I don't even know what gluten is. I think we're just inventing stuff to be allergic of, I think, is what we're doing. But if you're non-gluten, whatever, okay? Your food doesn't taste very good, but I don't care. Gluttony is actually, um, it actually just means excess or to gulp down or to overindulge. And so, uh, when we think about gluttony, we typically only think of it in one category. But what I'm going to try to unpack for us today is that, that yes, some of us could be gluttonous in overeating or overdrinking or not exercising, that kind of thing. But then there's some of us in the room, and you are, you're, you're kind of just a gym glutton. And what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the second half of verse 20, Paul says to this church in Corinth, he says, So glorify God in your body. Or the NIV says, therefore, honor God with your body. So what we're going to talk about is how do you do that? How do you honor God with this physical body that he has given us? And so um, when it comes to like self-image or body image or what you do with this body that you have, most of us tend to lean in one of two extremes. And there are some people here that, that will lean towards neglecting the body that God has given you, that you kind of don't take care, good care of this thing that God has given you, this shell that houses all of who you are. And, and when you think of kind of typical gluttony, this, this is what we typically think of. And there's some of us in the room and you overeat and you drink too much and you smoke too much and you take drugs that are illegal and you put things in your body that are killing you and you're not treating you very well at all. Um, and anytime you talk about folks that, that, that are gluttonous, there's always some kind of guilt associated, you know, you know what you're doing isn't wise. Um, you even know there's probably some kind of spiritual component there and, and there's some guilt and it affects others' relationships. I mean, some of you are like, I'm not going to be friends with her anymore. Why? Nobody should be that thin. I'm not going to be around her anymore. Um, it, it, essentially what we do when we neglect our body is, um, we really are thinking about the temporary. I'm going to eat as much as I want now. I'm going to drink as much as I want now. I'm going to do whatever I want now for a temporary pleasure now at the expense of what happens in the future. And um, it, it's really, it can really just be um, an ultimate sign of selfishness. Is that if you neglect your body, and I know what you'll do, you'll stand behind this as if your excuse is, hey, look, it's my body. 
Look, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. And for tomorrow, who cares about tomorrow? I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. Why? Because that's what I want to do. That's how I want to treat me. And it's my body. Can't I do with my body what I want to do with my body? But the truth is, is if you neglect your body today long enough, then what begins to happen will, the people that love you most will be required to take care of your body later because of your neglect today. It really is a form of selfishness. And the same thing is true with, with anybody that, that drinks too much, that smokes too much, that takes illegal drugs, that cuts themselves, that does anything to abuse your body. It's not glorifying God in your body. Um, and, and really what it is, we're going to find out later, we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 6 in a little while, and, and Paul's going to let us know that your body is a temple of God. And I'll unpack that in a minute, but a, a temple of God is meant to glorify God. And any time you take something that was meant for the sacred and you use it for the common, you know what that's called? It's called sacrilege. If you were to take something that was meant for, for the glory of God, for holiness, for the sacred, and you were to use it in just a common, ordinary way, you would say that's sacrilegious. Like, for instance, if, I were to, if we were to all go camping, that'd be weird, but if we were to all go camping together, and you were in charge of starting the campfire, and you couldn't get it started, and then I was like, hold on, I ran to my tent, and I came back with the Bible, and I said, here, just use some of this paper, and I were to just rip it out. And ball it up and say, here, this, this burns easy. Here, start a fire with that. I mean, regardless of what you believe, you'd be like, whoa, I don't think you should be tearing out the Bible to start our campfire. And I was like, yeah, but it's just Jude. Nobody even really reads that anyway. You thought it was a Beatles song. You know, here, we'll do that. Or Leviticus. We, I mean, we're really paying attention to Leviticus. So we'll just take the parts that I don't like that much and we'll just start a campfire with that. You would freak out. You would go, no, no, that's sacrilegious. And, and, or if, if my table was, was uneven and I were to just take my Bible and be like, well, I'm not using this because I got one on my phone anyway. I mean, what's the difference? Let me just use this. Wouldn't you look at it and go, I don't think I can go to this church anymore, right? Or if I were to take a crucifix, you know, and, and say, hey, look, it's, it's not even historically accurate, right? Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He's in heaven. So it's not that big a deal. I can't find my hammer. Let me just use my crucifix to nail in this nail. And with Jesus' crucifix face, I was going, ding, 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 ding. You would be like, whoa, hold on, stop, 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 stop. Look, I know we're saved by grace, but I'm pretty sure you're going to hell. I think that's what happens. <laughs> there would be something in us that, that anytime there's something that was meant for the sacred and it's used for the common, it's sacrilegious. So, folks, I am a Bible guy, okay? I believe it's the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God from cover to cover. I believe the maps are accurate, accurate and, the, and the leather's genuine. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm into the book. But the Bible has not been given temple status. You have. And when you have, when you neglect the physical body that God has given you, then, then it's not honoring to God. And so think about this. <clears throat> that God loved you so much that he came in a physical body. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the, and the God-man, Jesus Christ, in his physical body endured a physical death on a cross and was physically buried in a grave and then bodily resurrected on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will return again. And so if his physical body is the currency of your salvation, then what you do with this gift of a body, this side of heaven, is very, very important. And so for those of you that lean towards the neglect and towards the sacrilege, and we got to honor God with your body. But now, there's another side of it too. 
There's some, some people kind of lean towards sacrilege. Some people lean in the other, in other direction. And in fact, you're, you're just filled up with pride right now. You're thinking, you tell them, preacher, all right? And you, when you realized that today was about gluttony, this is the most excited you've ever been to come to church. You thought, well, I don't struggle with this because I've already worked out this morning and I made my gluten-free waffles and I've stretched and run and that's kind of your world. <clears throat> and if some people neglect this physical body, there's others of us that, that can lean towards an obsession with the physical. And you are really, really concerned with the way you look and your heart rate and how many miles you can run and all of those kinds of things. And again, you'll rationalize it and be like, no, 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 I'm just trying to take care of me. And I told you before, when you rationalize, you're just telling yourself rational lies. That's all you're doing. And if the other folks are kind of filled with guilt, then you're filled with pride. And you literally believe that you are better than some other people on your row because you wouldn't put that in your body. And so there's a pride issue going on. And in fact, essentially what you're doing is you are worshiping you. You know, when you worship the creation instead of the creator, that's called idolatry. And there are some of you that your physical body is your idol and you worship it. And you would push back and be like, no, pastor, I've never worshiped me. I've never gotten out of the shower and said, I exalt me. I've never done that. But to worship something is to ascribe worth to it. So if I were to take the things that are worth the most to you, your calendar and your checkbook, and we were to just pull out, I mean, you gotta live indoors and you gotta buy groceries and all of that. But if I were just to to track your calendar and your checkbook and where you put most of your time and money, many of you, it would be into your physical body. It runs your whole world. It's the most important thing you have going on. And in fact, there are some of you in this room right now, and you have invested more in your fingernails than you've invested into the kingdom of God. Now, you can say ouch or amen, but it stings a little, doesn't it? And listen, listen, girls, when you get your fingernails done, you know you're just doing that for other women. Do you realize that? I've been a man my whole life, okay? I have never been walking down the road with another dude, and he'd be like, oh, my goodness, did you see those fingernails? Oh, whoa, amazing. Seriously? Do you think they're real? I don't know. I can't tell. It's kind of not even sure. So... But some of you are obsessed with the way you look. And if you were to track your time and your money, you're investing more in the, in the shell than you are in things that last forever in the kingdom. Some of you are so obsessed. I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're gluttonous in regards to health and fitness. I mean, not even in just a healthy way, but in an idolatrous kind of way that you can't even enjoy a good meal anymore. You can't even go to a restaurant and just order something and eat it without wearing out the waitress. Hey, I need my gluten on the side and, uh, you know, and that kind of, all of that. And then they just bring you something and you're trying to got to count all the calories. Listen, nobody wants to go to dinner with you anymore. You realize that? <laughs> that it's that big of a deal. And it actually runs your entire calendar and your whole life. And, and I'll just tell you, I get it. I get it. I used to... Compete in bodybuilding, that's the silliest thing in the world. It's ridiculous. A bunch of grown men in underwear just sitting there doing nothing, okay? I don't know what I was thinking. 
It's hard to identify in yourself, but you can begin to lean in a certain way. And when people will come to me and say, um, I think you're a little obsessed. I would say obsessed is a word that lazy people use to describe the dedicated. I mean, that was kind of <laughs> where I was. But essentially what begins to happen is you make your entire world and everybody else around you, you require their world to revolve around your workout calendar. And really, you're trying to define who you are from the outside in. And essentially, you're a glutton. You're a glutton. Except your donuts don't come from Krispy Kreme. They come from a gym membership. But it's the same thing. You see, essentially, the crazy thing is about the two is that, is that the, the, the workout freak and the neglector, they, they struggle with the same thing. And their struggle... Their struggle is really, it's all about me. Because if you're a glutton on the side that tends to worship yourself, you know what your biggest fear is? <laughs> time and gravity. And you're doing everything you can do to stop time and stop gravity. And it's hopeless, right? It's hopeless. It's going that way regardless. And if your identity comes in, in the outside, that's not honoring to God either. And neither is neglecting this gift of a body that God has given to you. So, so what do you do? How do you do what the Bible says? How do you glorify God in your body? Well, first, you've got to begin to recognize which way do you lean and understand that a leaning either in worshiping the creation instead of the creator, that idolatry, or if you lean towards the, the sacrilege use of your body, that really what you're doing is you're saying it's all about me. And so some of you might think, well, the, the answer is balance. No, it's not. Balance is a myth. And balance is not a biblical value. You know a great way to balance your life? Serve two masters. You can balance that out. Jesus said it'll kill you. So balance is not a biblical value. So what we've got to do, because the neglectors are probably thinking, yeah, I could probably work out some more. I should probably, you know, get off the couch and move around a little bit. And, and maybe you should. But the worshipers are going, uh-uh, I'm not going in that direction. I've worked a long time to be able to run this fast or look this way or have this body fat percentage. But the, the, what we're going to do is, if, if God has called us to honor him or glorify him in our body, then what we've got to be able to do is begin to understand the fundamental truths of who you are, of who and whose you actually are. And I think if we can, if we can understand the fundamental truths that come from the word of God, and you can have a biblical view of you, once you gain a biblical view of you, instead of conforming to the patterns of this world, then you can begin to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, out of a response to God, because that's what, that's what worship is, out of a response to God of who you are and whose you are, then you can begin to glorify God with your body. So I'm going to teach you four fundamental truths about who you are according to the word of God. It's going to require us to bounce around a little bit and... These truths sort of stack on top of one another, okay? So it's like a pyramid. And, and, and you don't get the second one without the first one, and you don't get the third one without the first two, etc. And so keep up. So we're in Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to start in the beginning. It's the very beginning of your Bible. If you're new to Bible study, you'll be able to find this one. So flip all the way back to the beginning. And I want to talk about how the answer isn't, isn't balanced, but the answer to glorifying God in your body, it begins with a biblical view of you. So first and foremost is this is that you are created in the image of God, that you are an image bearer of God, the almighty, sovereign God, 
put his image in you and you bear his image. That's a big deal. So in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. And we'll see in a minute, that's mankind, not like one man. So let us make man in our image. And if you're new to Bible study, you might be thinking, Well, who's he talking to? Is God talking to the angels? No, no, no. This is before any of that happened. That God, in and of himself, is a perfect relationship. That there's one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Is it confusing? Sure, because we're people and he's God and we can't fully understand it. But God in and of himself is a perfect relationship. In 1 John, when the Bible says that God is love, that love has to have an object. And so God in and of himself loves God. And so God wasn't lonely. It's not like God was in heaven with himself going, we need a puppy. We got to do something. No, but out of an overflow of God's love for God, God decides to make mankind in his own image. Now he made everything else in the world too, but there's nothing else in the world or in the entire universe that bears the image of God. But when he made you, he decided that you and I would bear his image. So God says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that means that in the male gender, there are certain aspects of us that that reflect God's image. And in the female gender, there are certain aspects aspects of you that rightly reflect the image of God, verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, ready, married men, you need to memorize this verse, the first command in all of the Bible, you ready, be fruitful and multiply, praise the Lord, I just thought we'd hang on with that for a second, all right, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, that you and I were created in the image of God. And so, regardless of what Peter is trying to tell you, the truth is that you are not just a hairless ape, that you are not a freak of nature, that you were not an accident, that you were created on purpose by God and for God. And let me just tell you, when you teach generations of people for long enough that they were just a cosmic accident, then it's no wonder, it doesn't take very long for generations of people to begin to act like they don't have a purpose. And so fundamental in the core of who we are, we are image bearers of God. And today, you will not come eyeball to eyeball with any person that doesn't bear the image of God. And then if you skip down to chapter two, verse verse seven, you'll see how God created man. Verse seven, then the Lord God, this is of chapter two, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So everything else God made, he spoke it into existence. But when he, when he starts making people, he gets the dust of the ground. The Hebrew word for dust is Adam, and he makes a dude named Adam, all right? And so he gets the dust together, and he forms it up, and apparently he's not a living creature yet. There's this shell of a body that is a man, but he's not yet a living creature. And then the Bible says that God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breath in Hebrew is ruah. Say ruah. There you go. You did good. So you got to get guttural and spit on the person in front of you, all right? Ruah, all right? It, it, it's supposed to sound like a, like a deep, exhaustive kind of breath. And in Hebrew, the word for breath and spirit, it's the same word. 
So when God breathed the breath of life, it can also be translated, and God breathed the spirit of life, the ruah of life, into Adam. In Greek, the word's pneuma, and it means breath or spirit. Pneuma, like when you get pneumonia, right? Pneuma means breath, and onia means jacked up, all right? I think that's it. And so he breathes his pneuma, or he breathes his spirit or breath, it's all the same thing, into Adam, and then he becomes a living being. Before that, he's just, I don't know, an animal, something. But then after this, he's a living being. Now, it's a little conjecture here, but check it out. So you know God from his throne in heaven could have just ruah from a long ways off. But you know what he decides to do? He decides to get down face to face, nostril to nostril, with the very first person. And he breathes life into him. And so you've got to imagine that when Adam opens his eyes for the very first time, what does he see? That he's face to face with his heavenly father. That he's in perfect relationship with his almighty and perfect creator. And listen, it goes super great for like one page. One whole page. It's, it's just great. They're hanging out. And then when sin enters the world, that moment is broken. That moment is interrupted. But every single one of us under heaven have been created for that moment. You've been created by him and for him to have that moment of face-to-face unfiltered relationship with your perfect creator that you that you were created in the image of God and so when Adam opens his eyes there is his heavenly father he sees the Godhead right there in perfect relationship and he knows that he's an image bearer now this is very important if Adam and Eve are image bearers of God then what does God look like I mean look in the text and explain to me what God looks like what is the image that they're bearing is he tall? Is he short? Is he, is he thin? Is he buff? Is he black? Is he white? What, what does he look like? It never explains it. Why? Because that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. The, what you look like on the outside has nothing to do with you bearing God's image. And what honoring God with your body is all about has nothing to do with what you look like in a bikini. Can I get an amen? amen. A very high-pitched amen. All right, good. So this isn't about honor God with your body. It has nothing to do with like, you know, six-pack abs and all of that. It's about are you doing with your body what God has created you to do? Adam and Eve were to subdue and to cultivate and to serve and to help and to be in relationship with God and relationship with one another. So first and foremost, you've got to know that you were made in the image of God and you have been created for that face-to-face relationship with your Heavenly Father. Secondly... This is from Psalm 139. Psalm 139. If you're going to come to this church much, you're going to hear this one a lot. Psalm 139, beginning in uh, verse 13. The psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So the first thing is you are an image bearer of God. The second thing is that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God spoke everything into creation. Stars, boom, and there's stars. Sun, pow, there's the sun, all right? Moon, the earth, the planets, everything. Mountains, there's mountains. Ocean, that's as far as you can go. Grand Canyon, there's the Grand Canyon. I don't know how he did it, but he spoke it all into creation. And then when he created you, he 
He starts knitting. It takes time. But you were intricately woven together just the way God wanted to. And when the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, um, that fearfully means like in the fear of God. The way we would probably best understand that phrase is reverence, that you are reverently made. It's not like God made you and, ah, fearful. Not like that, like when he's afraid. It's not, you're not Frankenstein. But that he created you on purpose. It's as if, like when I was a kid and I'd go to my grandma's church, reverence was a big deal at her church, so you couldn't run in the sanctuary or talk loudly in the sanctuary, right? So they'd be like, shh, no, no running in here and keep your voice down. This is God's house, all right? And there's some kooky stuff with that, but, but a part of the beautifulness of that is there was a reverence for God. And so it's almost as if when God began to create you, began to, to, to create and knit you together, he would tell heaven, hey, 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 hush, 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 hush. Hey, Michael, put the trumpet down. Uh, angels, quit with your hearts for a second. Listen, listen, I'm doing something very, very important here. And what he was doing was knitting you together. And God doesn't make junk. All of his works are wonderful. And that includes you. And you've got to know this full well. That every, every time I get to tuck Reagan in, my four-year-old little daughter, I mean, I got a, a precious little blonde-headed cutie pie four-year-old daughter. And she's so sweet when she's ready to go to sleep. JP, the boy, he fights it, right? He's asleep. He's like, I want to sleep. He wants to stay up as late as he can. But when Reagan gets tired, she's like, Daddy, will you carry me to bed? I go, I sure will, baby, too. You're 23 if you'll let me, right? I'd tear you in and out. <laughs> Lay her down in her little bed, cover her up, talk to her for a minute. And then I pray Psalm 139.14 over her, over and over and over. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, your works are wonderful, of which I'm one. I know that. I know that full well. Why? Because at four years old, she believes me. But when she hits 14 and 24 and 44 and however old, it doesn't matter. She's going to live in a world that says, if you're not beautiful, you're not lovable. And beauty is defined by this impossibility that no one can even look like. And so I want the truth of the word of God to be planted deep in her soul so that when this world starts lying to her, that she will know that she is fearfully and wonderfully made, intricately woven together just like God intended, and that his works are wonderful and God doesn't make junk and he does not make mistakes. And so he makes some people tall and some people short and some people thin and some people wide and all kind of different colors and hairstyles and no hair and all of it, praise the Lord. And every single one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so it goes on in 15, it says, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of all of them. Listen, God does not make mistakes. If your parents ever told you you were a mistake, they're mistaken. There are no accidental babies. Sometimes there are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. You get that? There are no unwanted children. God wants every single one of them. We have an adoption ministry here with people, 60-something people lined up that want children. And so that's why this church, we're, we're going to focus on this part of 139. And so if there are people here and, 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 they, and you know, they're not married and pregnant or a single mom, listen, no accidental babies. 
No accidental babies. That God has a plan and a purpose and a hope and a future for that kid. And so we're going to be the kind of church that rallies around those families to do, so that they can understand who and whose they are in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And so it applies to every single one of us, every single one of us. Psalm 139 is not just a women's ministry verse. Okay, fellas, it's you too. All right? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Right, with you, regardless of your hair situation or your belly situation or whatever it is, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You need to know that full well. You need to know that full well. So you don't try to, in insecurity, overstep in your machismo, but you can actually be secure in who God created you to be. But in our culture, women, every single one of you need to memorize this verse. So you should see Psalm 139, 14 every day of your life. Because it's a tough time for you. You can't even go into the grocery store without being confronted by these images when you're checking out in, in Publix, okay? Um, and you need to know. You need to know this full well. Because here's what I know. Let me talk to all the women that are a little insecure, which my last count was all of them, okay? <laughs> and it really is. Like, it's, it's part of the twist of the enemy being the daughter of Eve. If, you, if you're totally secure in one arena of life, there's probably some other arena that you don't fully know the truth of the Word of God that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And in my experience, it's, been, it's irrele- irrelevant to what you look like on the outside. Some of the people that are the prettiest on the outside need to know this verse more than anyone else. And so my hope is, is that you would root the truth of the Word of God deep in your heart, and that, when I tell you that I don't care about your feelings, it, it does bother me that um, your feelings haven't lined up with this truth yet. But every single day, you need to look at this verse as you look in the mirror and claim the truth of God. And I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit and the shed blood of the Lamb that one day maybe your feelings can catch up with the truth that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So first and foremost, you're an image bearer of God. Secondly, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Third, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, that you are valuable. You are valuable. So we'll pick it up, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Paul is talking to a group of people that believe in this false dichotomy between their soul and their body. They believe their soul represents who they are and their body, they can just do whatever they want to. And so in this context, they would give their heart and soul to Jesus, but then they would do all kind of crazy stuff with their body. And so in that context, Paul says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? To which the Corinthians say, no, we didn't know that. We didn't know we were the temple. yeah. They knew what a temple was. A temple was an outer shell where God lived. And so in the first century, in the temple, there was this little room called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and on it was the mercy seat. And between the Holy of Holies and regular people like us was this big curtain. And you couldn't come in or out because that's where God lived. God lived in that room. He sat on his throne in that room. But when Jesus died on the cross and screams out, it is finished, the curtain is torn, which separated us from the presence of God, and now we can enter into the presence of God. And when Christ is resurrected from the grave, he sends the Holy Spirit to live in or to dwell in every single person who's ever surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ. So in the first century, if you were to ask people, what's God's address? They would say he lives on Temple Lane right there, the big temple. That's where he lives. And today, God's address is in you. 
that God, they used to think that he resided in a building, and now God actually lives inside of each and every one of us. And so if you've ever heard that your body is a temple, that has nothing to do with the bricks and the mortar. It has everything to do with the residence who lives in you, that the almighty God lives in you. Therefore, you wouldn't neglect it and mistreat the temple. That's a big deal. You also wouldn't worship the temple, but you would worship the one who sits on the throne of your heart. And so he says, he says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? This is huge. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's where we start, started. <clears throat> so when it says so, what it means is, or NIV says therefore, because God lives in you, and because you are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore, what you do with this body should glorify him. And here's what this verse teaches us, that you are valuable. Do you know how valuable you are? Do you know how you determine something's value? The value is determined based on what somebody will pay for it. Isn't that what eBay has taught us all? It doesn't matter what you think that painting is worth. You put it on eBay and whatever they're willing to pay for it, that's what that thing is worth. So in God's economy, guess how much you are worth? That he looked at you and you and you and he said, here's what I'm willing to pay for you. I'm gonna send my perfect son, holy, spotless blameless God-man's son to die your death on the cross to purchase you or redeem you and adopt you into my family. So you know what that means? That means you are infinitely valuable. And it's not because you're that awesome, but because he is. But his purchase of you determines your value. Therefore, if Christ thought you were worthy to die for, if he was willing to give his life on the cross for you, that's how you can know God as an adoptive father, a loving heavenly father that takes delight and joy in you. And so you wouldn't mistreat your body that he paid for. That's defaming what Christ did on the cross. You also wouldn't worship your body because you don't worship the bricks and the mortar. You worship the one that died on the cross to send that payment for you. And so listen, you are valuable. Therefore, you should be treated as valuable. You should value yourself. You should require other people to treat you as valuable. That means you don't put stuff in here to, to the extent where it's going to kill you. Why? Because that's, that's just defaming the name of Jesus. And then you also don't get it out of order and worship the thing he paid for, but you worship the one who paid for you. And so, first and foremost, we're image bearers of God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then you are valuable, therefore you should be treated as valuable. And then lastly, which is super important, is that this body, as important as it is in this earth to honor God and worship God with our body, that your body is temporary. And if you lean towards the neglect side, you think, well, praise the Lord. And if you lean towards the worship side, you go, no, no. I was hoping this would last forever. But the truth is, is that your body, our bodies are temporary. Later on in Corinthians, the Corinthians want to know what our heavenly bodies are going to be like. What's it like for those who have surrendered their life to Christ? When, when Christ comes and takes us with him to glory, what's it going to look like? So if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 35 and following, Paul answers. It says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? 
And with what kind of body do they come? Doesn't everybody want to know that? If you love Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, don't you want to know what your heavenly body is going to be like? I do. I thought, great question. In 36, you foolish person, exclamation point. Paul's like, you dumb question asker, but since you ask it, I'll answer. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Let me explain. Paul's going to give us an illustration here to talk about our heavenly bodies. He's saying your earthly body is temporary, and it's really not that great. It's temporary. And so what you put in the soil as a seed dies and is reborn, and what comes out of the soil, it doesn't look anything like the original seed. And so like an oak tree. Think about this. You take that little, tiny, little cruddy acorn, right? It's not very impressive at all. There it is. I mean, squirrels can just take them around and dig, them, dig holes and put them in there. It's not that big a deal. But you take that little cruddy acorn and you put it in the ground. And then something miraculous happens. And out of the ground grows this majestic and magnificent oak tree. And would you ever think that big, majestic oak would come from such a little, tiny, nothing-to-look-out acorn? And you'd be like, wow, that oak is amazing. You ever seen one of those big oaks with the Spanish moss and it's like 100 years old and it's huge? They look better with a tree stand, but even by themselves, they're pretty great, right? And there it is. And you think, wow, where did that come from? You'd be like, you won't believe it. It came from this little acorn. And Paul's saying, that's how it's going to be with your body. That's kind of how it's going to be with your body. So we're image bearers, yes and amen, fearfully and wonderfully made. We're so valuable, therefore honor God in this body while you have it. But don't ever take your eyes off of the truth that it is temporary. And one day for every believer in here, that one day we will have a heavenly body and in that body in and of itself will glorify God. I don't know exactly what it's gonna look like and that's a part of why he explains it this way. It's gonna be so much better, so much more glorifying to God than what we have now. But there will be a day in heaven when you and I will meet again and I will come walking up to you and go, dang girl, you look incredible. And you go, I know, right? Glory to Jesus, everything. It's gonna be awesome. There's gonna be no limp. There's going to be no gray hair. There's going to be, you get to keep your hair, I guess. If you wanted it curly, maybe curly or straight. If you wanted it straight, whichever, you know, I know you were born on the wrong side of the fence. But whatever it is, there's no limp. There's no disease. There's no mental illness. There's no disability. All of those things pass away. Why? Because we've been, we we will have our bodies in glory. No pain. And he's going to go on to say, he's going to go on and explain it. A lot of verses, but I want to read them. Verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. The stars differ from stars. Verse 42, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. Like this flesh that we have is perishable. How many of you are over 40? Can I just get a little witness? Raise your hand high. Over 40 crowd. Praise the Lord. All right. That's my crowd. All right. I just crossed over to your world this last year. And this verse means more to me now than it used to. For the 40, and, hey, if you're like 30 and under, check Facebook. We'll be back in a second. But listen, crowd. <laughs> it's become real, hasn't it? The, the perishable. Remember? Aren't you, remember when you used to be flexible? 
I can remember, y'all, there was a day when I was in the idol worship, I mean, I could squat like 500 pounds. Now I can't squat over to touch my shoe without making a noise. People are like, what are you doing? I was just changing levels. It requires noise. <laughs> or wake up in the morning just so sore. I'm like, oh, I'm sore. What happened? I slept. <laughs> that was it. Apparently going from here to here, I got to have Advil. That's it. <laughs> and I hear it's getting worse. I hear it's getting worse and worse and worse. So what is... What is sown is perishable. This is all temporary. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. This is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That's what we read out of Genesis. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's talking about Jesus. Verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is a big deal. Every one of us that have been born, we were born of humankind. But you have the opportunity to be reborn spiritually. And then with that, you inherit a spiritual body, is what 1 Corinthians says, a heavenly body. That if you were born once, then you'll die twice. You'll have a physical death and a spiritual death. But if you're born twice, if you're born physically and surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ or reborn, then there's only the physical death. And then... We, we all spend forever somewhere. And so that's what he's talking about here. And so here's the point. The point is this, that when you begin to see as God sees, then you can begin to honor God with your body in a way that God sees fit. So is the answer balanced? No. So those of you that, that don't work out at all and are neglecting your body, should you work out more? Probably. You should probably not drink so much and do things that are killing you. You should probably move around some and, and do those kind of things, eat better. Yes, but you're smart. You can figure that out. Those of you that are, that are kind of workout Nazis, do you just need to relax and eat an ice cream sandwich? Probably, probably do. But it's not about balance. It's about perspective. If you can begin to see you the way God sees you, then you can begin to, to respond to that truth in a way that honors God with your body in a way that he sees fit. Because if you don't deal with it at the soul level, then, then it's just temporary fixes. Um, <clears throat> somebody that, that's really helped me understand how to honor God with their body is a, is a friend of mine in Jamaica. His name's Roland. Um, Roland is in the infirmary in Jamaica. In 1979, Roland was shot in Kingston, Jamaica, um, through the spine. And so from about here down, he's paralyzed. And so he's been laying in this bed, uh, and, and once a year, or, or now that we have several mission trips, two or three times a year, um, he gets to get out of his bed. But, but outside of those times when we're there, he's in his bed all day, every day. In 1984, he surrendered his life to Jesus. He's an incredible disciple of Jesus, loves Jesus like crazy. And so when we go and visit Roland, we'll take him out of his bed in the infirmary and take him to the ocean. He lives about, I don't know, three or 400 yards from the ocean. And it's the same type of property that you would build an all-inclusive resort on. But in this part of Jamaica, they've used this piece of property um, to just abandon people that they don't want to take care of. 
And so we go in and we see Roland and we scoop him up and, and um, his, all, his limbs are basically frozen because, you know, there's no physical therapy or anything like that. So his limbs are frozen. And so we put him in his wheelchair and we take him down to the ocean. And the first year that we began to do this, my brother and I and a couple of other people, we take him down to the water. And he says he loves to go swimming because he, he, he doesn't feel paralyzed in the water. And so we towed him down to the water and he's swimming around and he's just having the time of his life. And then I thought, oh, I got an idea um, and I asked my brother to hold him, and so I get his feet, and he can't really tell anyway, and I just swim him down to the bottom and kind of dig a little hole and cover his feet up with sand so it'll kind of stay put, and then come back out from the water, and he's like, what were you doing? And I said, hey, Roland, we back off of him, and he's just standing. I'm like, Roland, you're standing. And you just see the look on his face. This is the first time he stood up since 1979. It was a big deal. And he just starts saying, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And then I say, Roland, um, so what are you looking forward to most when you get to heaven? Because I know you've surrendered your life to Jesus, so I know you're on your way. And so what are you looking forward to most when you get to heaven? Now, I'm thinking he's going to say something about run, walk, stand, streets of gold, banquet table, you know, some, some kind of personal benefit of being an, a co-heir with Jesus and, and the son of the king in heaven. And he pauses for a second, and he looks at me, and he looks at my brother, and he says, oh, to just be face-to-face with the Father. Oh, to be face-to-face with the Father. That the physical things that Roland is enduring even in this moment, he realizes are just temporary. They're just temporary. And even the prize of heaven is not what he's going to be able to do there, run and walk and jump and shout and sing and those kind of things. But the prize of heaven is the one that sits on the throne, and the one that sits on the throne is more than enough. And walking compared to Jesus is nothing as long as you get Jesus, is what he's taught me. So how do you glorify God in your body? First of all, you know that you, you were created in the image of God to have that face-to-face relationship with your Father. That you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are valuable, therefore you should be treated as valuable. And that all of this is temporary. So we should make the most of it while we have this opportunity. So what are the applications here? Man, it's, it depends on who you are and what the Spirit's leading you to do. Yeah, some of you need to go to the gym. Some of you need to quit going to the gym so much. Whatever it is, that's between you and the Lord. But you know some ways we could, we could honor God in our body right now? Is you could take these hands that he's given you. And when we worship, we can be obedient to scripture and we can lift our hands in the sanctuary. Or you can take this mouth that's part of your body that he's given you and you can extend an invitation either to come here to our church or to listen to your story about how God changed your life. Or for some of us, what you could do is you could, <clears throat> you could take care of this body that he has given you so that one day, gener- uh, decades and decades from now, you can get down on your hands and knees eyeball to eyeball with your grandchildren because you have taken care of yourself and you can explain to them that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I've been waiting my whole life to be able to share this with you. Or you could walk in a humbled confidence and how you have been created instead of an insecure jealousy about how everybody else has been created. There's so many things that we can do with this body. Or you could spend less time, effort, energy, and money on the external things 
and invest that time, effort, energy, and money into the things that will last forever. Therefore, therefore, since you are not your own, since you were bought at a price, therefore, honor God with your body. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, I thank you that you came dressed as a servant, born as a man, and walked this earth. And God, you got hungry, and you got tired, and you got sleepy, and you got all those things. You experienced all the physical things that we experience, and yet... You took your physical body and died a real death on a physical cross and that your body was buried in a grave and you were, the resurrection was a bodily resurrection and that you've ascended to the right hand of God and Lord, we look forward to the day when you return and in the twinkling of an eye that we will trade in the perishable for the imperishable. But in the meantime, God, would you help us to honor you with our body? God, for the, for the people in this room right now that are struggling with an with a eating disorder or an addiction, God, would you set them free by the power of Jesus Christ? God, for people that are hurting themselves, cutting or thoughts or actions of suicide, God, would you set them free? Would you root them in the truth of your word so that they can respond in kind? God, for people in the room that are worshiping what they look like, God, would you let them know how fleeting that is? How fleeting that is? And nothing compares to worshiping you and you alone. Holy Spirit, would you just meet us wherever we are? God, I thank you that you won't leave us there, but you would allow us to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you in our body. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we respond. That's what we do. We respond. We respond by using our mouth to sing, our hands to lift our hands. If you're a regular here, we respond by bringing our tithes and offerings to the boxes around the side or the giving kiosk there. And some of you, we've touched on something that you are dealing with. And you might need to just physically step out from where you are and bend your knee at these altars and cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Let us respond.